Haskell Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton. Lucy Powell, Labour MP for Manchester Central. And tell us about your responsibilities to do with education. Well, I'm on the Education Select Committee um, and I'm also leading a piece of work now for Andy Burnham on school readiness um, in the early years, which I think will be a really exciting project we've got planned there. And you're here uh, behind the scenes, actually, having just spoken at our school conference uh, and it was very well received. Give, give a flavour for those people who weren't in the hall of what you were just saying. I was trying to encourage ASCL and all its members to, to use their voice in challenging government, in um, saying where they think things are, uh, are going wrong, but also to give each other the confidence of making some of those decisions that perhaps don't feel like they're going to be in the right interest of the school uh, because of the data and the accountability, but are actually in the best interest of the, best interest of the children um, because these things are whims and they come and go and perhaps it's just better that we do take that long-term view. I thought that came through really clearly. We've been talking about being a bit bolder, having bold leadership, and we also talk about ethical leadership. And you put those two things together, and it's one, what are the principles that will help the young people in my school and the community to do well? And secondly, who are those young people? And they might not just be the ones in my school, they might be the ones in the school next door. And there was a kind of resonance, I think, with what you were saying in that. Yeah, well, hopefully that's that's good to hear. And I, I, I do think that is the case, because... I think school leaders often um, are the sort of people who think, right, well, I've been told to do this, so we'll have to sort of make it work, um, when that's not necessarily what they think is the right thing. And, and, you know, if we are a true system of schools improving each other and school leadership at the heart of the agenda, then we should take that on board a lot more and, and, and put our hands up and say say no. I mean, so for example, this issue around 90% of children sitting e-back, I mean, whether that'll ever become policy or not, I don't know. It really shouldn't, in I mean, my it's right, view. right at the back of the... Of parliament isn't it it's almost like the government itself doesn't quite believe it's going to happen yeah absolutely and um and yet probably lots of schools are already adjusting for it when i would say don't yeah, yeah. one last thing um the the, the the overall message i got from what you were saying is that uh, if and when labor comes to power in terms of education policy what we shouldn't expect there's going to be some huge juggernaut of reform introducing loads and loads of new qualifications I, did i read that right yes i think so i mean i'm you know i'm not the shadow education secretary anymore but i would say that would be a view widely shared in in the labor party that and, and the department for education so massive now anyway uh, there's so many other parts to the system system that perhaps need a, a look at HE, uh, making sure that the whole new approach to apprenticeships, which are welcome, but that is embedded properly, that I think we can perhaps leave schools alone for, for, for quite a bit. Lucy Powell, thank you. Thank you. Christine Hodgson, I'm the chairman of Capgemini UK PLC, and I'm also the chairman of the Careers and Enterprise Company. And you have a particular interest, don't you, in uh, what we're talking about, about education and the paths that might lead into employment? Absolutely. So um, in this rapidly changing world of work, one of the things um, when we come to looking at hiring talent, we look at both graduates and degree apprenticeships. And in fact, we, are, we were one of the forerunners of, for the degree apprenticeship. So we had our first graduation last summer. 64% of our graduates got a first, which was double the average of uh, Aston University's normal degree that we, uh, so we partner with Aston. And um, we're a massive f- 
fan of apprenticeships. I mean, they are not some second-rate alternative to university. They are an absolutely genuine route to go and for individuals who are every bit as bright as those going to university. And that should be the real test, shouldn't it? That actually it doesn't matter about your academic ability, what you're looking at pathways and opportunities and that the apprenticeships are giving you those That's which might be distinctively different from, but, you, but no worse than. It's that, so Absolutely. No. So the young people who come on the apprenticeship they get on-the-job training, they get real work experience, and of course, and they're doing the study at the same time. So, you know, by the age of 22, um, they have got the degree, they've got fabulous work experience, they have no debt, they've been earning, and actually they are a wonderful ambassador for our company. Now, you're here at ASCAL conference. We've got around 120 uh, business leaders and employers here. Uh, what, what, what are you hoping you might gain from it? Um, well, wearing both hats, I'm really here to listen to uh, and listen to the needs of education as well as also just to put my point of view forward on what I think employers uh, are looking for in the world of skills so I love the theme I love the fact that we're looking at um, the changing world the changing world that we're operating in uh, I love the fact this morning that Carl was talking about transferable skills because let's face it we're all gonna have more than one career we're all gonna work for many 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 years so how do we help young people get armed with the skills that they need that will be relevant whatever whatever route they take in life so I loved hearing him talk about you know analytical skills communication skills emotional intelligence those are all the things that we look for in young people when we're hiring we don't just say to them what qualifications have you got we look at all of the whole package the whole I mean, system I, I love that because that is such a kind of optimistic view that we've got a world which is changing rapidly and that creates all kinds of opportunities both in, in terms of what we do in the classroom but what we're doing outside the classroom as well yeah, it, 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 it is. I mean, I think that it, none of us know quite what this, uh, you know, the rapid automation and the, the rise of the robots is, is going to bring. But I'm an optimist and I believe that actually there will be different jobs that will be created. There will be some jobs that will, that will disappear and there will be others that will be created. And what we've got to do is just inspire young people to feel excited about the world of work to go out there, get some skills and, and just be ready to keep on learning because we're all going to keep on learning. We're going to be reskilled many times. And actually, that's an exciting. It is. Christine, thank you very much. I'm John Hattie. I'm professor at the University of Melbourne. John, you've been speaking at Askell Conference this morning. Just give us a flavour of the kind of things you've been saying to us. Well, my message this morning was to move away from our current obsessions about reflection, about looking at what we do and looking at how we teach, looking about our debates about school choice and curriculum and all those things which are massive distractions and move the debate more on not so much how we teach but the impact of our teaching. Look at it through the eyes of our students because there's so much stunning success out there that we're missing when we don't do that. There were a number of pretty provocative things there, I think, in terms of some of the practice. I mean, you mentioned some of the distractions that we've had about school types, school choice for parents and so on and so forth. You also said something which I think for school leaders was important, which is stop thinking in terms of hierarchies so much and have a look for expertise. Can you just explain that? Well, the thing that keeps me going, Jeff, as I go around the world is this stunning expertise out there. We have some pretty impressive schools and teachers in our system. And my fear is we're going to lose that if we don't value it, esteem it and identify it. And so I'm really passionate that we do do that before we lose it. Um, unfortunately, teachers often want to deny their own expertise because they're nice people. They want to give credit to all the other things around them. But wow, we have some pretty impressive expertise out there. And after five years in the job, the correlation between expertise and experience is zero. 
So it's all over the place, but sometimes we miss it. And when we talk about expertise, we're not just talking about knowledge, are we? I mean, can you just elaborate on it? No, no, expertise is a function of our impact on our students. And of course, there's knowledge behind that. Of course, if you look at the teaching behind it, there's different kinds of teaching, but one of the things you certainly note is that when you identify those teachers who have the greatest impact on kids, quite often there isn't a common way of teaching. But unfortunately, that's often what our debate is. Let's adopt this way of teaching. I wish that was so true. wish that we didn't do that. But if we focused on that impact, uh, that's what's quite dramatic. And how those teachers think as they do their job is quite profound. It was interesting because you kind of looked us in the eye and said you need to stop fixating on the teaching. And lesson observations is one thing you talked about. And it said see things through the eyes of the learner. And part of that isn't just working with the learners, it's then articulating to parents. Just explain why, why we would need to do that. Well firstly if through the eyes of the learner, yeah, that's, that's our job is to work with those kids and they have very strong views of what, about, what it means to be a learner in this classroom and sometimes they're very deep and great and sometimes they're not and if we don't know that we're walking uphill and certainly then if you talk to the politicians not surprisingly they're as much if not more interested in what the voters and the parents think and sometimes when you ask the parents what they want in terms of great schools, they talk about all the distractions too. They talk about the smaller classes and the more curriculum and the more discipline and all those things. And there's nothing wrong with those things. They're just the things that don't make the difference. So we have to educate our parents of what learning means in this 2018. Um, and we certainly, I want you, us very clearly and carefully to talk to our students what they mean. So often, and we do this all the time, you go into a school, what does it mean to be a good learner in the school? If they say, come to school, sit up straight, pay attention to the leader, teacher and get the working on time, you know you've got a, a lot of poverty and you've got a lot of problems. Learning is tough, learning is rough, learning is full of errors, learning is about mistakes, about what you don't know. And how do we privilege that so that kids will enjoy this challenge and this passion of learning? Last one. Uh, one of the underlying themes of the conference, because we've got business leaders here and employers here, is that we are preparing young people for a world which it is now, it's not rhetorical, it is going to be different because of artificial intelligence, robots and so on. You make a point about uh, those children doing maths and that it's not just about their math skills, there's something else. And it was a really important point. Do you mind just remaking it for me? You're right, it's not just about maths. I, and it's this debate you have in this country between skills and, um, and knowledge. It's a false binary because when you look at the employment rates and what employers are looking for, particularly in maths and science, is they want the math, but more importantly, they want those students who can interpret, who can problem solve, who can work in teams. And certainly what they're saying loudly and clearly by the employment rates, if you don't have those skills, you're not employable. If you've got some maths and have those skills, you're much more employable than a student with lots of maths and doesn't have those skills. And so my challenge today was, what do you do in your classrooms in terms of what the kids value? What are the assignments you set? What are the tasks you set? Do they involve interpretation, uh, collaborative problem solving, working together in teams? Or do you still have kids competing with each other to know lots? The former is what our employers are clearly demanding. When I went through, they didn't demand that. They wanted knowledge. The world has changed. Professor John Hattie, thank you very much. Hi, my name is Paul Drexler. I'm the president of the CBI. And you've been speaking at Askell Conference today. Give us a flavour of what you've been saying. Uh, really, I had three main messages. The first was congratulations, thank you, and huge appreciation to the teaching leaders doing so much across the country. Secondly, to say that there's a lot the business can do to encourage, support and engage with schools and help in leadership and governance, enterprise employability, careers and curriculum support and we want to help.
Uh, and thirdly, to government, I'm saying it's time out. We need to stand back and reflect, put in place uh, some solution like a commission. Think about what does this country need in the long term in terms of education. Take it out of the rule of uh, Secretary of State that lasts for two years and changes and into some people who are going to think about the long-term interests of the children in this country. I thought it was an incredibly powerful message, a strong message to government, but also you challenged us as leaders to to not see uh, uh, the world of employment as something separate from us. It's something we have to be working with business on. And you think we can do that? Well, I think I reminded you that as uh, school principals and leaders, you are employers, so we're all employers. It's how do we make the best of this challenge? And I think... Uh, what I was saying is I, I, an invitation, which is we need to work with you to come up with better ideas now to give the children of the future the best possible opportunities, and I believe we can do that. Well, it was a really strong, but also a really optimistic message. So, Paul Drescher, thank you very thank much. Thank you, and real pleasure to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Carl Ward, ASCO president. Now, we're here at the end of the first day of the conference. Um, for people who weren't here, tell us what you were hoping to uh, achieve with this conference. Really, I wanted to achieve bringing education and business together because I think they've got a crucial role to play in the future for the future of our, uh, our children's generations to come, to bring together ideas along with government to hopefully co-construct education policy as we move through into the future. You did a pretty hard-hitting speech at the beginning of the day in which you said, you know, this political cycle simply cannot continue. Just give us a flavour of what you mean by that. Well, I suppose what I mean by that is that, you know... M- in all honesty, when anybody does anything really well, they do it from the middle ground, connecting with everybody. And that's what we need to do in education. If we want to do education really well, if we want to do great education, which is the aspiration of our education system moving from good to great in this country, then we need to do it co-constructed together. So, in a way, my speech was looking back at the things that have happened, you know, those points from history that we need to all learn from but my speech was really more about looking forward to what we can do working together and working together across business education and politics and other partners as well parents crucially to make the education system in the future really learn from the mistakes of the past well, from my point of view, it's an extraordinary mix of people because we haven't had you know, 130 business leaders sitting amongst school and college leaders like that, all of them hearing the same message, but all of them, it seems from where I am, thinking we could do something differently. Why don't we? That seems to be the optimism at the end of day one, doesn't it? Absolutely agree, Jeff. I think we're at that crucial time now, and I think in the next 12 months we will see significant movement on lots of the things we've been talking about today. I think most people have come up to me today and said... We are in that moment in time. It really does feel like it. And Askell's done what it always does, which is captures which, ca- which is captures what people are really thinking. And what we've done today is we've stage managed that, we've put it on display, and now it's up to us to lead on that moving forward with a whole range of stakeholders and partners to make a difference in the future. Uh, and finally, we, we've had these just lovely, charming videos, which must have made you incredibly proud because they were young people of all ages across the different uh, academies in your trust. So that was fantastic. But also your two own children, your boys were here today. Just give us a flavour of why, why particularly they were here. 
Well, I suppose they were here because, you know, my year as ASCO president uh, and uh, is, is, is fantastic, but it, it, I'm often away from my family in a way that I've not been before. Um, so I wanted them to see what I was doing. I can talk about what I've been doing along with you, Jeff, uh, across the country, but they really don't get a flavour of it until they come to this place and see the speakers that we've got on display. And, I'm, I, and I've no doubt what they really wanted to see was Tim Peake anyway. So. And they got to see him, didn't <laughs> they? They did, yeah. they, they got to meet him. He was absolutely great. What was fantastic, fantastic is he gave them a little emblem each that had been in space 3,000 times around the planet, and that really has made their year. He was a class act. Cole Ward, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm Amanda Spielman. I'm the Ofsted Chief Inspector. Uh, great to have you at ASCO Conference. Give us a flavour of what you've been saying this morning. I've been talking, first of all, about this continuing theme about the importance of the substance of education and how we make sure that's really what happens in our schools. And I've been ta- I talked a bit about curriculum because that's been a theme since I've started. And then I went on to talk about workload and how all the different ways in which workload can build up in the school and college system. And from Ofsted's perspective, the things that we think the things that we think we can do to help to help reduce it. And in terms of that work on the curriculum, just remind us, so there's no kind of preferred model that Ofsted has about the curriculum. You're using it kind of to explore what a good curriculum looks like? It's... Yes, um, we, we are exploring what's, in the first instance, what's actually happening and whether it's leading to a full and rounded education um, of the kind that every, everybody would want for any, for any child. And that full and rounded, perhaps yeah. quite an important one to, to yes. lots of people, particularly parents perhaps, that means an acknowledgement that there are, there are things like the arts, for example, which ought to be an entitlement for every yeah. child. Yeah, and we've pulled out so the, the narrowing down in primary schools when p- children are coming up to key stage two tests that, that a lot of the richness can get lost, at the shortening of key stage three, and the way that can lead to losing a lot of the creative and artistic and and practical subjects a a year earlier than children otherwise might and to the the way key stage four can be structured so as to narrow children's choices and make it hard for them to pursue to pursue real strong strong interests and things that may be valuable for their life Uh, and last question with that focus on curriculum how are you going to make sure that your inspectors have got a real sense of what a good curriculum looks like we're doing several things one is where where the curriculum survey isn't finished we're still doing work we're drawing out of that some really clear thinking about how to characterize um, effective curriculum and then how to translate that both into inspection inspection frameworks and handbooks and also into inspector training so I'm making something that is really joined up that goes from research to frameworks frameworks and handbooks and training so we have a coherent model in which inspectors really understand what it is that they should be looking at and and and, and, pra- and pra- praising or expressing concern about um, and that we and that we do that so that we genuinely are a force for improvement I said that was the last question one last question you've been in the job just over a yes. year now how's it been it's been fantastic Jeff it is a job where I still wake up in the morning and think what me um, and um, I'm daunted by the challenge and yet it is also so rewarding to think about and tackle some of the the most important things for for every child in the country. I'm Damien Hines, Secretary of State for Education. Great to have you at Askell Conference. Tell us what you've been saying about workload this morning. Well Jeff, it's been great to be here at the conference and so good to engage with school leaders, college leaders about workload in particular. I know workload is a big issue uh, and I'm committed to doing what we can in DFE and working together with Ofsted, working together with Askell, with the teaching unions, with teachers themselves throughout the education system uh, to see to see what more can be done. I know a lot has been done already, but what more can be done to help to better 
bear down on workload so that teachers get the maximum amount of time uh, to concentrate on what they do best. And you said something really significant, I think, watershed kind of moment, when you said this morning that actually the constant changes of qualifications and curriculum and stuff on your watch, we're now going to let the stuff bed in. That's right, isn't it? Well, we've had, look, we've had important reforms and we're, we're part way through some of those reforms. Some of those things are still working their way through the system. We've got GCSE reforms, A-level reforms, so on, and that, of course, happens. And there's, and there's still more stuff that's already been announced. But, yeah, I did also say in my speech, I think it's important now that there is a period of some greater, uh, of some greater stability. And how has your first two months been? I, I have loved being uh, in this role, having the privilege of working with this sector, working with the teachers, the lecturers, the, the, the school leaders, and everybody involved in the wider education world. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Um, could you just say who you are, please? Yeah, my name's Ran Fines. Um, and it, it, what does it say on your passport that you are? Uh, it, it has always said that I'm a travel writer, but I do write books about other things as well. You're here at Askell's conference with the Association of School and College Leaders, so we talk about leadership and we talk about teaching. Um, you've had an extraordinary life. When you look back to your own education, what, what, what stands out for you? The prep school was okay in Wiltshire, but um, uh, I was put down for Winchester because Fines is getting free. It's called Founders Kin because it was founded by Fines about 800 years ago or whenever. Mm. Uh, but you had to get a certain level of entry to get the free treatment. And I did manage to get the sufficient level of intelligence to get into it to, for a free education. The only place which would take people with such a low level of common entrance was, of course, uh, Eton. So I went there. I see. So you, you, you don't class yourself as an academic uh, overachiever? No, but I, I knew that by the time I was 17 or 18, um, I would, I'd only wanted to get in the army like my dad. And um, unfortunately you had by the time not with him but me you had to have two a levels because it was no longer cavalry horses it was tanks and sort of physics and all that and i really couldn't get a levels so i went to a crammers in um brighton where the etonian master said if he goes there he should be able to get the a levels unfortunately it coincided with the height and i mean height of the mini skirt era and so concentration was <laughs> it, not, not, you know, so I failed the A-levels twice and couldn't go to Sandhurst and that affected my entire wished for career. So, so what, what happened? What, what did you then do? Well, I um, got married when I was thrown out of the army. Uh, eight years you get thrown out because of, um, you don't have a regular commission, you can't stay in. I just got up to captain and then was thrown out. And that year, 1968, I married, and my wife also had no money. She was at Scottish National Trust. And um, so we thought uh, what I could do, because in the army in Germany in the Cold War, our tank regiment, my dad's regiment as had been, um, became really expert at killing Russian tanks, targets on the range. So we were looking forward to the tanks of the Warsaw Pact attacking um, from East Germany because um, that's what we were trained to deal with. But the Soviet army never attacked. 
so the soldiers started beating each other up in the naffy instead. And the officers had to stop that, and so I took them canoeing up European rivers, you know, the Rhine, the Rhone, the Weser, the Loire, you name it, in winter teaching them cross-country skiing and all that sort of stuff, and it was called adventure training, and it was paid for by the taxpayer. So when my wife suggested doing it as civilians, uh, that's all very well, but the new word was sponsorship, mm. and that is an art, and it took us 28 expeditions to gradually sort of get into the hang of that, and they gradually got more ambitious as, as they went. Um, and, and, and didn't uh, require any O-levels for it. And of the expeditions, which, which one are you most proud of? Um, I suppose the one that took longest, um, it was eight separate expeditions over 25 years, just for one aim, which was to find the lost frankincense city in the Great Desert. And um, after five expeditions, each of which, you know, you got BP sponsorship, Land Rover sponsorship, got to get the Sultan to agree, particularly religious areas of digging and that. And um, we found a, a pillar uh, 300 miles into the sand dunes, and champagne came out, etc. Two months later, the archaeologist, there was just one pillar still, nothing else. And we realised it was probably our rivals, the Germans, had hired a helicopter and dropped it to keep us sort of busy. We had no proof. Really? And I, I just thought, you know, after the elation, I thought, no. So I told Jenny, you know, that's it. But she spoke very good Arabic and she said, no, it's not it. We will carry on till we find it. And on the eighth expedition in 92, we found it through luck more than good archaeology. And um, now it's the biggest excavation works in Arabia. Gosh. Saran Alphonse, thank you very much for coming to Ask no, Conference. Not, not at all. <laughs> not at all. The Askell Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton.